today seemed like a good day to talk about legacy. Because today is our grand opening. And we're making history here. You're a part of history by being here today because this is the only one of these we'll ever have. This is the only grand opening the Story Houston will ever have for our first new building. And you may not know it now in the, in the tiny vacuum of the here and now, but, but this day is going to echo for generations by the grace of God. What's happening right now is the beginning of something we hope people are talking about generations from now. And you and me, we get to be a part of this. What a privilege. How rare it is that we get to be a part of something like today. And we owe this day in part to 19 months of y'all's hard work, your patience, your dedication, your presence, and your, your gifts. Every time you've given money to the story, every time you've shown up or said a prayer, you've contributed to this once-in-a-lifetime moment happening. But I also think we owe a huge debt of gratitude to our, our mothership, St. Luke's Methodist, that uh, has been dreaming about this day for many, many years. Uh, Ten years ago, they started talking about this day. And here we are, because of the faithfulness and sacrifice of others, we benefit and we get to be a part of something so special today. We've been talking about family uh, for the last few weeks. St. Luke's is our extended spiritual family. And, uh, and so we have St. Luke's DNA in our bloodstream as the store Houston. We share a lot of the same DNA as a family now, you may not think that if you're familiar with St. Luke's. St. Luke's has a reputation for being a big church, kind of fancy and, and, and established. And the story is none of those things. We are not big or fancy or established. You might think we're completely different, especially in the shadow of that huge steeple out there. But I am telling you, that's why it's important to know your family history. Because when you know your family history, you begin to see that you have more in common with your family than you thought. You have more of their blood running through your veins than you imagined. And spiritually, that, that's the case with, with us and St. Luke's. St. Luke's, uh, just like the story, was once a new church. In uh, 1944, uh, some Methodists had moved out to this suburb called River Oaks. And this was back when there were 500,000 people living in Houston it was uh, not a one-horse town, but it was a smaller city, and River Oaks was uh, an outlying suburb. And Methodist folks were moving out this way, but you all know what else was happening during uh, 1944? It was this World War, the Second World War, right? And uh, because of the demands that World War II placed on American society, things were being rationed, which is something just beyond our scope of imagination today, that stuff would be rationed, uh, and you had to limit how much you use stuff, like, uh, like shoes were rationed, sugar was rationed, tires were rationed, uh, I heard that coffee was rationed, I know, it makes me want to hug an old person and just thank him for their sacrifice. <laughs> it's, uh, it's unfathomable, you know, that, that idea, but, uh, but, but that's, that was reality. You know what else was rationed in 1944 was gasoline. 
And so the Methodist folks that were moving out to this area had to drive back into the city to go to a Methodist church. You know, first downtown or St. Paul's, which is in what we call the museum district. And uh, the gas usage was just too much. They didn't have that gas in their ration to use. And so Methodists in River Oaks started going to St. John's Episcopalian, which already existed, which is St. John's the Divine over here. Uh, and, and they started going there. Now, what was happening before that was that as Methodists petitioned the denomination, the Methodist church, for permission to start a new Methodist church here, they were told, no, 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 that location is just too remote. Uh, it's just... <laughs> It's too far outside of town. Uh, Lamar High School represented the edge of civilization. If you've ever seen any pictures of uh, Westheimer Road in the 40s, Lamar High School was the edge of, of town. And so where these Methodists wanted to plant a church just seemed like it was way too far out there. Until those Methodists started going to that Episcopalian church. The first preacher of St. Luke's was Derwood Fleming. And one of my favorite quotes of his, uh, he said that the thought of, Methodist turning Episcopalian, even in the context of wartime sacrifice, just salivated the bishop. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? And uh, thus St. Luke's was born. And uh, in 1945, uh, St. Luke's started to take shape. And it's really important that we know how St. Luke's came to be, that we know St. Luke's story, that it was born out of a time of sacrifice and war. Uncertainty and instability. The things you will hear people say about St. Luke's is that it is a stable church, it is a rock in the community, it is an oasis from the chaos of the city that comes from having been born out of war. We need to know our family story. This video you're about to see tells a little bit more if the screens work. On Monday evening, May 31st of 1945, a handful of individuals gathered in the living room of Exa and Loyal Nelms. St. Luke's, they say, was born that evening, just two blocks from where it now stands. The group had seen a need in Houston for a church that would serve the community expanding westward. After over 60 years, it's easy to think that St. Luke's has always been here. But for the founders, whose vision became our church home, it was just that. They were drawn by a dream, led by a vision. And we, today, are the beneficiaries of those thousands of acts of faith. And the Holy Spirit is not done. So neither are we. This was a video that they showed to raise the funds for the project that eventually became the story. The Holy Spirit is not done, so neither are we. You need to know that St. Luke's was, like the story, a new church at one time. They held their first service, November the 11th, 1945, at the Lamar High School Gymnasium. Does that sound familiar? St. <laughs> Luke's also began in a gym. The first service, about 450 people came. You want to know how many people came to the story's first service, February 22nd, 2015? About 450. St. Luke's had 200 members join that day, and you know how many members we had that started the story? That first Sunday, about 200. St. Luke's first offering that day was about $460. You want to know how much our offering was our first Sunday? <laughs> Not much more than $460. Uh, <laughs> uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. History is cyclical. Uh, and, so, and, and, and so we have these things in common. The first hymn that they sang together on November the 11th was, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, which I'm sure took on a deeper meaning for those who were lonely without their loved ones. 
who might have never come home from war. What a friend we have in Jesus, they say. After a few years, St. Luke's decided it was time to become established and buy some land and build a church. And so they decided to buy the 14 acres that we're sitting on today, and they bought those 14 acres uh, for $99,000, and that's not per acre, that's total. $99,000, 14 acres of River Oaks land. Uh, To give you perspective, the 12 acres next door where they're building that baseball field right now sold a few years ago for $90 million. So I think our forebears had some wisdom with that investment. Uh, We we thank God for that. Uh, And uh, the land has truly uh, appreciated uh, in the last uh, 70 years or so. Uh, to raise the money for the project, uh, they, uh, they developed this brochure. And this quote from this brochure really uh, stuck out uh, to me. It, it had this quote that said, Only once in a lifetime comes the privilege of helping build a church that will stand for generations in the community for which it is built. When we build, let us think we build forever. Let it not be for present delight or present use alone. Let it be such work as our descendants will thank us for. And let us think that as we lay stone upon stone that the time is to come when these stones will be held sacred because our hands touch them and that men will say as they look upon the labor and the wrought substance of them, see, our fathers did this for us. Our fathers and our mothers, they did that for us. This is a great legacy that we are a part of. It's a great legacy that we have been given. I hope that we inherit so much of that St. Luke's legacy, that St. Luke's DNA. I hope we inherit our family's uh, capacity for risk-taking, for church planting, for mission uh, and service to the world to make a difference. I hope that we inherit that compassion, that big-heartedness. And so that is the legacy I hope we inherit. But, you know, there's the legacy you inherit And then there's the legacy you pass on. And sometimes those things aren't the same 100%. You might inherit one legacy and pass on another one. Now, the one you pass on might look 90% the same, but there's something you change about it. There's something you add to your family's past. People of the story, I want you to know there's a reason why St. Luke's ever had the vision to plant a new congregation in their own backyard, which is an unorthodox thing for a church to do. It's because they felt God calling them to do something new, something that wouldn't just repeat and hand down the same legacy, but something that would add to the legacy that we've been given. And that is why we are here. St. Luke's, for all of its wonderful qualities, and it has so many, I could just go on and on, has never really been a place where non-religious people or, or skeptical people are, are, are maybe uh, directly invited or directly compelled to come and give Jesus another chance. You know, people that have walked away from religion, typically, just like a lot of other Methodist churches, St. Luke's has been a place for people that are already religious to come and find a new spiritual home if they move into the area or if for whatever reason they need a new church. But St. Luke's knew, St. Luke saw the culture shifting. And that people that move into a new community don't think, well, I'm a Methodist, so where's the Methodist church? They don't think that anymore. The relationship between St. Luke's and the story has reminded me a little bit of the relationship between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. 
Paul spent his whole life planting churches and doing things, and toward the end of his life, he's passing uh, the, the, the baton to Timothy, who's young and just getting started. And Paul says this in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, and with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, Paul says to Timothy, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Doctrine alone won't be enough for them. They will not be patient with doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I think our most recent forebears at St. Luke's had the vision to see this happening in our culture. Because every day, more and more Houstonians are turning from the faith of their forebears. Are turning away from belief in God. All you have to do is read the paper or whatever uh, we read, uh, the, the internet, uh, to, to show you that, that, that times are changing. And people are choosing to say no to religion, no to God even. Uh, sometimes they have really good reasons for doing so. Other times it's just because they don't want to be accountable to anyone but themselves. And they inevitably fill that void uh, with uh, whatever their own desires or own ideas or, or own appetites are. And when I look at the wisdom behind St. Luke's planting the story, I see them telling us, preach the word, correct, encourage, and give people new reasons to follow Jesus. Because this passage describes our context perfectly. Give people a reason to live for something more than themselves. To live for a legacy beyond the selfish intent. So, when we look at where we are in history, there is a legacy we're inheriting and there's a legacy we want to pass on. Much of the legacy we want to pass on is stuff we inherited, but not all. There's something we are specifically called to do for such a time as this that we hope will change the course of our family's future. That's how families work. That's what families do. That's the way it's always been. That's the way your family is. Now, stop thinking about church with me for a second. Just think about your own blood relatives, your own family tree. I bet that there's something you do, some tendency you have, maybe it's a great thing, maybe it's an awful thing, that was passed down to you. It's a part of your family's legacy. But there's all sorts of behaviors and tendencies and tics and, and preferences that you have that you might not even know why you have them, but if you dug into your family tree, I bet you could find out why. But there are things that you're good at or things that you're awful at that you can chalk up uh, to your own uh, family. That is how family uh, works. Not just your parents, you're several generations back. I think about my own family. I did a little digging this week. I want to introduce you to my great-great-grandfather, John Mills. They called him Paul, Paul Mills. Paul was a preacher in Kentucky, and he was a circuit rider, which means he was responsible for five or six churches at any one time, but because they didn't exactly have Teslas back then, he, he could only make it to one church per Sunday, and so he tried to get to one, to, to every church at least once a month. And he had a reputation for being a firebrand. That was the word used to describe him, a firebrand. 
They said that as he rode his horse up to the church, before he even dismounted from his horse, he was already screaming about Jesus. Because he loved Jesus so much, he wanted to tell people about Jesus. He's my great-great-grandfather. He had five sons. All five sons grew up to be preachers. One of those sons is my great-grandfather, Oscar Mills. There's a picture of Oscar and Daisy that you see on the screen. Oscar and Daisy had 11 children and only four survived childhood. So much loss and pain there in their story. But Oscar was a preacher too. Now, preaching didn't pay the bills. And so they had a little cotton patch that the family would all uh, pick cotton in together. And Oscar painted houses to make ends meet. Oscar, my great-grandfather, had a nickname in the pulpit. They called him Spitfire. He was five foot five, but could hold an audience like no one else. They said every time he started a sermon, he had a jacket and tie on, and by the end of the sermon, he had lost the jacket and the tie. He just had his shirt, and he had sweated through it. Some of you are not surprised by any of this, <laughs> given your experience with me. Uh, my grandpa, Ray, was also a passionate preacher, as is my father, Chuck. So every Sunday I stand up here, I stand on the shoulders of four generations of men who gave their lives for the gospel. Every Sunday I stand here, I, I represent five generations of gospel preachers. And that's a legacy. And I'm proud of that legacy. And I carry that legacy with pride. And every time I get up here, I think about them and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for their wives and their families for giving what it took to do ministry. <clears throat> now, that's the part of my family's legacy I'm grateful for. There are other things in my family's past that I'm not so proud of. Some of you might feel the same way. My family is country folk. I come from the sticks of East Texas. And if you know anything about life in East Texas, there's parts of life that just leave a little bit to be desired. Several people in my family tree are known racists. Going back a long way. I remember as a child hearing the N-word thrown around regularly, daily. It was part of the daily lexicon. It wasn't a big deal when I was growing up. This is a part of my family story I'm not so proud of. However, I will say this. Even though my entire hometown is pretty much racist and my extended family was pretty much all racist, my immediate family was not. Why? I, I don't know this for sure, but I've got to think that at one point, my mom and dad sat around maybe a dinner table or something. They had a conversation, or maybe it was when they were dating and, you know, in a car together and thinking about their future or whatever. i got to think that at some point they had a conversation, and they said, this is a legacy that we've been given, and we're going to stop it right here because we refuse to hand this part of our family legacy down to our future children. At some point, they made a conscious decision because that nasty word was never allowed under my father's roof. I never heard them say it, and they never heard me say it. If I had said it, I would have faced a whooping, which we, what we call it in East Texas, a whooping. I would have gotten the worst whooping of my life. Had I said that in my father, I said that word once in my life, it was when I was the only white kid on the basketball team, and I thought I was a little more of an insider than I really was. And I, I never said it since. But that's because 
because my, my parents made a decision to change the legacy, to pass down a different legacy than the one that they inherited in this particular way. They had to make that conscious choice. And I'll tell you what, man, I know they paid a price for it. I know people rolled their eyes at them. I know that they were ostracized because I remember my dad calling out aunts and uncles for talking like that around me and my sister. I know they were social pariahs. There's always a cost when you change something like that. But it was a cost that was worth it to them. And Man, I can't tell you how thankful I am and my sister and I are to have a different legacy to hand down to our kids so that they can hand it down to their kids and and on and on. Do you see how one decision can have a ripple effect for generations? You have one voice, but do you know how long your voice will echo into the future if you say something that matters? With this one life, this one voice you've been given, do you know what a difference you can make? Now, I want you to think about your family with me. I want you to think back, not only about your ancestors, I want you to think about the future family that awaits you. Kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews. Here's the thing. When I was researching my family, I knew the legacy of John Mills. I did not know his name. I had to look that up. But I knew what kind of a gospel preacher he was. It got me to thinking, my great-grandkids, God willing, they won't know my parents. They won't know Chuck and Kathy Huffman. But they will know their legacy. They will benefit from their legacy. And here's the deal. All that you probably can wrap your head around right now is your ancestors. Your predecessors, the people whose names you can't remember but whose legacy you bear. What I want you to see today is that one day you will be the ancestor. One day you will be the predecessor, the forebear. That will be your picture on the screen. And they'll laugh at you for your mustache or whatever. They'll laugh at you for, you know, how you only had one robot called a Roomba and all it did was sweep your floors. You know, like they'll laugh at you for, like, you had to drive your own car places or whatever. You know, like, that'll be you. They won't remember your name, but will they remember your legacy? Will your life have stood for something meaningful, something beyond yourself? What will your legacy be? How will it be different? I know that there are some in the room right now, because I know you, some of you, well enough to know that you inherited a a family legacy of dysfunction. Some of you look at your family tree and go, well, they were divorced, and they were divorced, and they were divorced. They weren't divorced, but they were, they hated each other. You know, they, they weren't divorced, but they were unhappy. They were a broken home, whatever. You come from that. It's in your blood. And if you're just nonchalant about it, and if you just think you're different because you're different, you're special, whatever, if, if you just cruise through it, then you're going to pass that legacy on to future generations. But if here and now you decide to make a difference, to make a change, to pass down a different legacy than the one you inherited, I believe that can change. Some of you 
come from that kind of family. Others of you, men especially, uh, you inherited a hot temper from your father, grandfather, uncles, distant relatives. They passed down their short fuse to you. And they, they, uh, their blood is in your veins telling you that anytime something's beyond your control, anytime something's out of your reach, anytime someone doesn't do what you want, or your needs aren't being met, or, or you lose an argument, you just, you blow up. Or even worse, you blow up and then you leave and you go out to the shed for a few hours and make everybody else just feel your shadow hanging over them. That's the legacy you were handed down. Is that what you want them to say about you? Is that how you want them to feel about you? That you were just like those who came before you in that regard. I know many of you are powerless when faced with certain temptations, addictions, for example, that have been handed down to you, and you don't know what to do. You don't know why it is that way. You don't know why other people can have a few drinks and stop, and you can't. I'm telling you. That's a legacy that's been handed to you. Self-medication. It's what your family has done for generations. Others here are bad with money. You know why. You never have savings. You don't know why all you have is debt. And you keep spending to prove something. I, I, I'm telling you, if you dug back into your family tree, you'd find the reason why. Maybe you're okay with money, but it's stress you can't handle. Or it's anxiety you can't handle. Or it's conflict you can't handle. There's a reason. That's your legacy. And I believe that's why Jesus came. Those parts of your family's legacy that you want to part ways with, that you want to change for future generations, that's why Jesus came. To reconcile that which was broken and make it right again, to give you the power and strength that you need to stand up and take the cost that you have to to, to pay in order to pass down a, a different legacy than the one you inherited. Jesus came to help you do that. I believe that's why he came to give you a what you need to pass down a different and greater legacy to redeem the worst parts of your family's past. The Apostle Paul calls this the ministry of reconciliation. And he talks about the ministry of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 19 uh, throughout that section. And, And Paul says, for the love of Christ urges us, urges us onward because we are convinced that one has died for all. And he, Jesus, died so that those who live might live for something more than themselves. But for him who died for us, that we would live for him. So, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, then there is a new creation. There is something new taking place in your soul. The old stuff that you wanted to die has gone away and something new is happening. Something that you will pass on to future generations. If anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation. And all of this is from God. Paul says, through Christ, God has given us the ministry. Given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given you the power to reconcile whatever was broken in your family's past. Imagine that. Now, you also have the ability to do nothing at all about it and just pass on whatever's broken to the next generation. But what this means is that he has given you the power to change and reconcile that which is broken. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome legacy he empowers you to leave. 
just like he empowered my family, my parents to have that conversation and say, that's the way it was, that's not the way it's going to be. We will stand in the gap and pass down a different legacy than the one we inherited. Now, it means you have to make that decision. It means a conscious decision. It means you have to trust Jesus enough to surrender to him and make a change in your life. It means it's going to come at a cost to you, whether that's a social cost or a financial cost. But here's what I want to ask you today. Given the parts of your family past that you want to change for future generations, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because what if, what if you're the one? Guys, what if you're the one whose picture they laugh at generations from now? And they say, you know, before him, all the men in our family were selfish or all the men in our family were abusers or all the men in our family were workaholics. Before him, all the men in our family would just shut down in conflict. Before him, no marriage was ever happy in our family. But this guy, he seemed to have changed that for us. He made a new decision to be a new man. This guy turned off his cell phone when he was home from work. This guy got on his knees and played with his kids. This guy lost an argument graciously. You know, this guy took his wife on dates every week, even though no one ever showed him how. This guy was different, and we're different, all of us because of him. What if you're the guy? What if you're the woman whose picture all the future little girls of your family look at? What if you're the woman, they say, before her, every other woman in our family struggled with depression, but they were so ashamed that they never got help for it. They suffered in silence. Some of them maybe took their own lives or were just miserable, catatonic. Before her. But she said, no more. And she got help. What if that's you? You got help. You said, I, I have what they have, but I don't have that shame. And I'm going to get help. And you changed the future for generations of young girls and maybe young boys. What if that's you? Changing the course of history by one simple decision you're making now. I'm telling you, that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to give you that ministry of reconciliation, to surround you with a community of people that will embolden you and strengthen you when it gets hard. And when you make a new decision to, to spend your money differently or to, to self-medicate differently or, to, or, or to, to, to invest your life and your time in different ways, if Jesus and his community will get you through that. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the future of your family can be because your one voice echoes. For the last 19 months, I've been praying one prayer for the story that we would be courageous enough to fulfill the mission God gave us, to pass down the legacy we're here 
to hand off to future generations. A legacy of creating a church for non-religious Houstonians. Because I can't tell you how easy it's going to be now that we have a real building to become a real church for religious folks to come and feel comfortable for an hour together. That is not why we're here. Our purpose is to create a culture where non-religious and skeptical and spiritual but not religious and agnostic and atheist people can come and know they belong even though they have questions and doubts, even though they're not sure if they're uh, you know, Christian, much less a Methodist. You know, who cares? That's, that's not why we're here. We're here so people will come and know they belong. I pray that we have that courage. And I, I have confidence we'll have the courage to see that vision through because Jesus He's the pastor of this place. He is our guide. I hope one day they tell stories about this day. I hope one day some preacher on a hologram or whatever they're going to be doing 70 years from now looks back and says, our fathers and mothers, they did this for us. They invested their money, sacrificed their lives. They laid down themselves for something more than themselves. They did it for us. and That's a story I want to be, I want to be told. And I pray that your descendants tell the same story about you. Whatever selfless decision you make today in Jesus that they will know they benefited from that decision because you said no more to some part of your family's legacy and you said this is a new day. I am a new creation. This is a new family. Today can be that day. That is why Jesus came. Trust him. Surrender to him. Even if it costs you something. Give future generations a better legacy than the one you inherited. Let's go to God in prayer.